Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Jennifer Stevens, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thank you. Great to have you. We've talked about having you on for a while, at least as long as uh, your mom joined us about. Wow. How long has it been? It's been a while. It's been almost a year, maybe. yeah, I feel like it's been almost a year. Yeah, and so here we are. You're ready to rock and roll and tell your unique story. I am. I know some of it, but I don't think I know all of it. So we'll explore it and you share what you're comfortable sharing. You are from where? I'm born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana. Now, is that the proper way to say New Orleans? It is. It's not Nolans? It is not Nolans. All right, so New Orleans. It is New Orleans, yep. Don't say it as obnoxiously as I just said. <laughs> uh, and so you have... Fond memories of New Orleans? I do. I uh, New Orleans is a great place to uh, to visit. I uh, I love the food. I miss the food, and uh, lots of memories there growing up. Um, yeah, I have some fond memories there. What were you doing when you were like 10, 11, 12? 10, 11, Bes- 12. Besides going to school, uh, and I should mention that you and I know each other from work, and uh, your mom is in the room but off mic, and we expect to hear from her five to 15 times. I'll go the, with that. During the recording. Um, at that age, I think I was playing cabbage ball. What, what, hold on. You can't just say cabbage ball and not tell me what that is. So it is like, um, it's the ball the size of a cabbage, literally. It's outside. Um, very similar to baseball, softball, but it's a cabbage ball. But it's bigger, it bigger than a softball. It's the size of a cabbage. Okay. It's, but it's not actually cabbage. It's not actually, y'all don't have that up here? No, ma'am. We did not. It's cabbage ball. Yep. It's softball with a bigger, bigger ball. Correct. Yep. So, yep. So I remember playing cabbage ball and, um, just outside Roman neighborhoods playing with friends. Why cabbage ball, not softball? Was softball a thing too? Um, I don't really remember softball being a thing. I think it was age, your, it was age appropriate to your age group and then you graduated to softball. Okay, right on. How long did you play that? Several years as a young child. My mom was my coach one year. We did terrible the year she was a coach. <laughs> uh, we only won two games that year. Two out, was, two out of how many? Uh, the whole season. Like two out of like 15? Like 10, 15, yeah. and the only two games we won were the ones that she wasn't there for. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, uh, that was how that season do, do, went. Do, do you lay those squarely on your mom, all those losses? <laughs> no. no. It, was a tough, it was a tough year for her. I remember the colors were black and red. Um, I was a nine that year, so a little bit uh, out of the age group that you asked me about. But uh, oh, yeah, it, was, good. It, was, yeah. it was the year after my, my parents separated. So that was... Uh, mm. She went into coaching cabbage ball. So, so, so leaving her, your, your dad... Yeah, you separated. Yep. And she really got into cabbage ball, but not so much that they were your team was very good. Correct. Got not it. so much at all. That must be the team was actually terrible. And is the ball actually round? Because it, it's round. Yeah. Are, are cabbages it? round? I don't think I've ever bought cabbage. Cabbages are round. All right, we spent way too much time talking have about to cabbage Google ball. It. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. You have to Google. Were you considered a uh, a student, like a, a a nerd, a jock? Neither. No. So I was um I was a very opinionated student. So I, I wasn't a nerd. I wasn't a jock. Um, I was pretty known by many. Um, outspoken. Uh, Where do you come by that? Uh, my mother and my father. Both I'm, of them. I'm a product of both of them. Okay. My, um, I came up in the criminal justice system. 
My father was a sitting judge um, for my entire life until he, he retired. And uh, my mom was his minute clerk for many years, and then she um, finished her career working for the district attorney's office. So they're both uh, pretty outspoken individuals. And curious, too. And, 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 and caring. Yes, curious and caring. You, it's hard to be outspoken if you don't care about whatever very, it is. Very passionate about most things that I do. Is that a Louisiana thing, or is that your family, or is that both, maybe? I think that could be both. Could be both. Probably my family. I don't know about a Louisiana thing. I, I'm making that up. I, I, I was going to go New, with you. New Orleans? Is it a New Orleans thing? New Orleans people have lots of hospitality. They tend to be very caring and okay. considerate people. All right, right on. Very cool. Let the good times roll. All right, so what was high school like for you? Um, high school was, uh, I remember having a lot of, of fun times in high school as well as some challenging times. So uh, one interesting, unique fact about me in high school is um, I was actually emancipated at the age of 16. I'm fascinated by this. Um, so I legally um, became an adult as far as the courts were concerned when I was 16 years old um, and put myself through um, my, my senior year. I was not a junior in high school, so I went from 10th grade to my senior year and I worked three jobs um, when I walked across stage at my high school graduation. So it was definitely not um, your typical high school experience. Um, yeah. Well, let's back up a little bit. Did you have a? Did you want to skip your junior year, or were you told by the school that you should skip your junior year? What was the? What were the circumstances that led to you skipping your junior year? Somehow along the way, um, I ended up with more credits that were needed um, in order to not have to go to school during my junior year. Um, up until high school, I had come from a product of the private school um, school system. And then once I reached my high school years, I decided that that no longer was the best place for me. Mm. And then I wanted to go into public school. And uh, we tried out several different schools um, around the course of a few years. And between all those different schools, I acquired a, a lot more credits than, than were actually needed. I have always excelled in my academics. And when it came time to go through my junior year, I had already had enough credits accumulated to not need to take that year in school. Got it. So let's back up. You're, are you comfortable talking about your parents breaking up when you were younger? Yeah. All right. So you were eight? Or nine when they separated? I was eight. You were eight. And what was what was that like for you going through that? So the separation, the divorce was extremely difficult for me. Um, backing up a little bit further, my mother had me a week before she turned 40. Um, my father was a little bit older. So really in the home, I really was an only child. Um, I had siblings from them from, pre from previous marriages that were much older. Um, so for those first eight years, I, I really had a wonderful childhood. You know, Christmas morning, woke up, there was a sea of presents. I remember doing lots of things with both of my parents, very engaged. Um, and after the divorce took place, the rug was really ripped from, from under me. I think both parents tried. My father purchased the home just a few blocks away from my mother's house to remain close. But very, very quickly, um, I believe the same day, um, that my parents' divorce was final, my, my father was remarried. Um, and very shortly after that, um, my 
stepmom was pregnant with my younger sister, which was a blessing um, many years later. But being, you know, eight now at this point, nine year old child, um, unfortunately, I didn't see it as a blessing so much at that time. So you kind of uh, lost uh, or there was a tough relationship there with your father, it sounds like. And with your mom, you, you remained tight or did or things strained with both parents? No, so... And I'm asking this knowing that Anne is over here. So my stepmother became really my saving grace um, right after the divorce and through a lot of my teenage years. My mother became the enemy mm-hmm. and my father became the man that, you know, I continued to try to um, ensure I remained in his good graces and did no wrong. And why was mom the enemy? Probably because she was the conditional one. Mm. Not realizing that, you know, now at 36, being able to articulate that. Yeah, now you're you're trying to raise your kids right, with a similar mindset. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But teenagers don't, well, or even preteens don't react very well to that. Right. Especially after a divorce. Correct. Like that. All right, so let's get back to the emancipation, which just, I don't know, you're the only person I know that's uh, been through the process of emancipation. Tell, tell me a ton about that because it's completely new for me and I imagine most people that will listen to this. So it is a full process. You do go through the court system. Both of your parents have to agree to the emancipation and you have to prove that you can um, support yourself financially in order for the courts to sign off on the emancipation. During that time period of my life, I felt like I was a responsible adult which uh, if there's any young audience listening, I can tell you that at 16 years old, you are not a responsible adult. Um, There were lots of hard lessons learned at that time in my life. Um, And my parents, I'm sure, felt like they no longer wanted to be responsible for some of my actions leading up to the emancipation. Gotcha. And then so you were working three jobs, I think you were telling me the other day. I did. I was working three jobs. So I was working at um, Poncho's, which was a Mexican restaurant. So I was waiting tables. I was working at Cafe Duman actually overnight, which is coffee and donuts, which actually worked really well. Cause Wait a minute. You, you, is this over the summer or were you in school? No, I was in school. So you were working an overnight job and waiting tables after school and going to school. Correct. Yep. And Cafe Duvon, actually, although it doesn't seem like it would be the guest, best gig out of all of them, um, that was great. Lots of tourists go to Cafe Duvon. New Orleans is famous for our, our beignets, um, and, and people would go in there to sober up. And lots of people were intoxicated, so they would tip you a lot of money over Yes, yeah, that's Yes, yeah, so it's great, right? If you're in it for tips, you need to be, be around drunk people, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um, and then I also worked at... Uh, Robart, one of the local grocery stores. So you were working seven days a week, it sounds like? Um, Some weeks I'd work seven days a week. Some days I'd work only the three jobs on weekends. Okay, gotcha. And you were still a good student, despite the fact you were working at three different places? I was. I graduated high school with a 3.8 GPA. Nice. You got me beat on that. All right, so you graduated at 17? Were you 17 when you graduated? I graduated at 17. Okay, and then what uh, what was on the horizon for you after you graduated? So, um, once again, I come from a family of criminal justice, so I had always thought growing up that I was going to go into the judicial system myself. Um, So I thought that for a long period of time I was going to go into law school at some point in my life. 
But really, um, before I went into law school, I had a lot of my own purpose and passion as to why I wanted to do some of the things that I wanted to do. So I really had a passion to go into juvenile probation and parole. Um, so I, right out of school, very, very, uh, knew into, right out of school, went into, started out in community college, Delgado Community College, took a lot of classes in criminal justice, and took an internship in Orleans Parish Prison. Tell me about the prison experience. That was quite the experience. So I worked in booking. So we um, took the inmates directly um, from the police right off, right after they had been arrested and would ensure that they did not come into the prison with any narcotics or weapons or anything along that aspect. And then we would um, book, we would, we would book them for processing. You're doing a normal pat down. You're not doing an extreme search. Correct. We would do a normal pat down. And um, with that job, I worked from 7 to 7, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. and then went to school during the day. That's brutal. Hard work has always been in my nature. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of hours. You got that from both parents? I got that from both parents. Yeah. All right. Right on. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any uh, unusual stories from your time working in the prison? Yeah, so once again, I've always been an advocate um, and very strong in my beliefs. And um, there were a lot of things, even even looking back, that I just did not agree with um, that happened within the prison system. And it was it's very easy to um, come in and, and work a day and have your own frustrations from the outside world and easily take that out on inmates, right? Because... It's, it's, it's your word against theirs, and ultimately, you have an inmate locked up, and you have a correctional officer, so most of the time, the side is going to go with a correctional officer. So after witnessing some of this behavior for quite some time, um, I felt like I needed to be an advocate for the inmates, right, and what I believed was right, and, and to stand up for that. Um, so I did just that, and um, tried to make a, some headway within... Um, the booking intake department, um, which was favorable f- for some, not always favorable by others. Um, got into a few altercations myself um, with inmates just because that that's the nature of the business, whether you are self-provoked or not self-provoked. Um, and then once I realized that even though I um, tried to do right as much as I wanted to and was not always getting the support that I needed to make the changes that I wanted back in 2004, 2003, I decided that this was probably not the best place for me. Uh, and you were working a 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift, which means a lot of the folks coming into the prison overnight are under the influence of something. Yes. And sometimes pretty hard substances that dramatically change behavior. Correct, but I'm a big believer that our behaviors should not have been impacted by that one way or another. No, I agree, but it, it, it's probably a lot to deal with physically, though, I'm guessing. Well, right, correct. So altercations do happen, and I believe that correctional officers have the right to defend themselves. Um, but, you know, you can sometimes have, like, one or two correctional officers support you or break up an altercation versus, like, ten. Right. Yeah, there's, there's a proper reaction, not an overreaction. It's warranted. Correct. Yeah. 
So about this time, um, I also I got married rather young. Um, How old were you? I got married at 19. 19? I had no business talking to polite society, much less getting married. I got married at 19. I, um, so right around this time when I was deciding that uh, Orleans Parish Prison was not the greatest place for me, um, my then fiance had started taking a had taken a position working in um, collections for a for the cable companies for telecommunications space, and had really started to excel within that industry. So I decided to um, pick up some interest on, in the business platform, and really started to get intrigued within the business side of things. So um, he had got offered a promotion um, with that company and became started traveling all across the United States, opening up offices for them. So very shortly after um, our wedding is when we were relocated to Richmond, Virginia, and that's how we moved from New Orleans to Richmond. Did, ever, um, did everybody attend the wedding? They did not. Um, my father was not present for my wedding. Is that a uh, sore subject? Uh, it's not an, it's not a great subject. Yeah. It's not a great subject. Yeah. Had you reconnected with mom at this point? Oh yeah. Mom and I, mom was very, mom and I had never not reconnected. Um, yeah, we we had never disconnected. She, um, has, has always, it was never a disconnect. No, I got you. Um, Yeah. That's what, no, no, she's good. I, I wanted to be clear on that. Yeah, so um, where was I? So we moved out to Richmond, Virginia, and um, I transferred. I at this point I was going to VCU. I was still I picked up a minor now, so now I was going to minor in business. So all of my electives were on the business side. I was going to major in criminal justice, minor in business. Still wanted to go into juvenile probation and parole. Um, but this system that we had moved and been transferred to Richmond, Virginia for was so large um, that he was not able to manage it all on his own. Um, so I decided to take a position with the company that he was working for as well. Um, we moved here in March of 2005, four or five, four or five. Um, and after four months, my mother actually presented us with the question of, um, can you do this on your own? You've, you know, you've been running this company so well for somebody else. Do you think it's a fantastic question that every parent should ask? Do you think you can run this business yourself? And without hesitation, the response we gave was yes, we can both of you, both of you are like, we're in, we're in it to win it. So he was more yes. I at the time was more. Eh, it's scary. It's very scary, right? Um, and once again, like I had my own goals in life, so I had already kind of started dabbling into the business world. But you know, it was interesting. But once again, really wasn't my thing at this point. Um, so. A few weeks later, unfortunately, um, there was a disagreement between my ex-husband and the previous company, and they did not have a non-compete clause. And we circled back around the conversation of, did we think that we could run the company ourselves? 
and we decided to form a company overnight. And can you share the name on it? Three Step Collections. Okay. And we were very blessed that my mom provided funding. It was a loan, and um, our client was. Did you, did you get a good rate? I got a great rate. Yep. And our client was a net ninety. So what that means, I'm sure most everybody is aware, is for whatever work that we did, we would not see a payment for 90 days, right? So we, but we had to pay all of our employees and all of, for all of our supplies and vendors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we started the company and at that time we didn't know who our client was gonna be. We just knew that we were gonna have this company. And um, looking back on it, we really had no idea how to run a company. We just knew that we could do this work. So once we had the company formed, we went to our client who we were involved with a telecommunication space and informed them first that we were going to um, be leaving the company and um, that we had left the company. I'm sorry, we had given our notice that we had left the company and that we were going to branch off on our own. And we submitted a bid for the work that we had in Richmond, Virginia. And we were blessed enough that we got the contract. That's unusual. It's very unusual for our first contract to be, you know, a half a million dollar contract. Yeah, that's a big deal. So we literally turned 24 hour days into 25 hour days. We started on our living room floor in our house and I was 20 years old at the time and grew that company into 234 employees across 17 different states. Which is about the size of our current company. It is. And, um, you know, it it seems like it was so long ago. In reality, it was three and a half years ago when I closed that company. Um, I ran it for for 13 years. There was a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And and the one thing that I can tell you is the life of a business owner and the perception of a business owner are extremely different. Um, You know, I don't know if I can describe... Um, one, just the amount of, of, of stressful nights, right? And, and just wondering if you're making the right decisions and knowing that whatever decision you ultimately make is going to impact that many people's lives. But then at the same time, knowing that whatever right decision that you make is always going to, is also going to have that same positive impact on those people's lives. So it had some of the greatest highs that I've ever had in my life from a positive aspect, as well as some some very, um, some of the lowest lows that I've ever had in my life. High risk, high reward sort, uh, sort of life. Absolutely, yeah. high risk, high reward. Um, well, let's go back to the beginning real quickly. So uh, it was just you and your, your husband. Ex-husband. Ex, I'm sorry, ex-husband. At the time, your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and were you just the two of you for a while, or did you hire people almost immediately? Um, we hired people almost immediately. Because it was a call center we, business, essentially. So at that time, there was no call center. Um, we grew it into a call center. It was just um, feet on the street, so just fields, technicians. Um, back then, in 2005, in the telecommunications space, we would go door to door to collect um, money for the cable company. Mm. And that's hardcore. If you are not able to collect payment for the cable company, you would collect the cable equipment or do the actual disconnect of the cable. So you would 
on the telephone pole and actually disconnect their service. It was before before digital was a thing. Right. So once again, not that long ago, actually. No, not that long ago. No. So we knew we had to hire a lot of people because the size of con of the contract that we had just taken over was pretty significant. So if there was a technical issue, would you solve for the technical issue or would your ex-husband? So on the tech side, um, he controlled the business. So he controlled um, all of that aspect. I controlled all of insurance, payroll, paperwork, call center once that grew. Um, and then anything once we branched off into the digital space, so like CRM, that all fell under my umbrella. So uh, you had to learn a ton and you had to learn it quickly. And as you mentioned earlier, a lot of your decisions had uh, a lot on the line every time you did something different. Absolutely. Um, in the first year, and once again, you know, I was a child, really. Um, so there was only one of my, one executive um, that stayed with us really after the first year. I mean, our attorney we fired mm. CPA fired. Wow. Why'd you, can um, you talk about why you fired him? Well, really in reality, I think it's probably that they, I don't know if it was so much their fault as it was just us not really knowing the questions to ask or really what we were looking for. But I felt like they did not take, you know, us seriously when we hired them to represent us. And once again, when you are interviewing with a 20 year old who has just started this company, you're probably thinking to yourself, this company is not going to be around and it's probably not worth my time. Right. So, um, I mean, I remember our first year doing taxes and the CPA didn't talk to us about making quarterly tax payments or what we should be doing. What kind what of CPA did you doing. hire? Well, right. And, and there was things that I didn't know at that time. So really just, um, there's two sayings that I've really learned to live my life by. And, um, the first one is fake it till you make it. In the first five years of my company, that's all I did was write. I, I, I truly just faked it till I made it and read a ton of books, um, went to a ton of seminars, you know, podcasts, YouTube. That really wasn't a thing back then. Um, so read a lot of books, subscribed to a lot of publications, read a lot of magazines. And um, the other one is my favorite quote is, when you want to succeed as much as you want to breathe, that is when you become successful and just became... That's a hardcore way of viewing the world. It, and my definition of succeeding has, has definitely changed through the years, but um, that's true because how much is it worth to you? So once again, the, you know, firing these, you know, firing these professionals... Yes, they should have guided me better and they should have asked more questions. But at the same time, shame on me for not knowing what I didn't know either. So as I learned more about what I needed to know, I knew the, the questions to ask. Sure. But when you uh, were, were interviewing them, you were 20, it sounds like. And when I was 20, I was trying to figure out where I was going to buy the next 12 pack of beer. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't interviewing CPAs and lawyers. Right. In fact, I don't think I interviewed a lawyer until I was well into my 30s for the first time. And they took advantage of that. So mm -hmm. my accountant stuck with me to the very end. So I had the same accountant from the day that I opened the company 
to the day that I closed the company. All right. So how long was the company uh, opened? 13 years from 2005 till 2018, 2018. Do you want to talk about how, how it ended or is that not a fun topic? Sure. No, it's a, it's a great topic. Um, I mean, kind of, it's a great topic because it led me to where I am in life now, brought me closer to the Lord. Um, you know, I have a, a, an amazing husband, a beautiful daughter. So I believe everything in life happens for a reason. Um, so once again, we've talked about our ups and downs, um, and, and how do we define success in life? So there was one portion of my life where I really defined success by title and, and money, right? How much money do I make? How much money do I have in my bank account? What are my assets? What type of vehicle do I drive? Um, and by this time, right, I have kids. I had, I had two boys. And life was really just passing me by. And um, my husband at the time and I, we were basically living in separate places. We had an office in Miami, Florida, which he was at, you know, three, four months at a time. He would come home and see the kids for, for special events. Like, um, like birthdays. Like birthdays, Christmas. They had things at school. He was involved as far as the kids were concerned. Um, but not a normal, it wasn't a normal, like. Dad wasn't always dad, around. Dad, right, correct. Yeah. Loved his boys, but dad was not always around. Um, and once again, you know, you asked me about the tech side, and I want to make sure I answer that question correctly. So when I, when, when I answer that, I was referring to tech, like as far as like disconnecting the cable, like that piece, right? But through the years, it shifted. Um, and it became very technical as far as they were no longer climbing poles to disconnect. They were no longer writing on work orders. It became like 21st century and it was going through CRMs. You would go to a vice system similar to like Salesforce and it was actually like technical as far as what you would think of tech. You went from analog to, to digital. Correct. Yeah. Um, and that shifted in our company. So it went from he was doing 70% of the work. I was doing like 30, still able to go to school. When you say work, you mean the technical work or all the work? All of, so when we first started the company, I was still in school. I was doing like the paperwork, payroll, insurance, you know, office stuff, but the bulk of the work was in the fields. Through the years, there was a complete shift where it was more of 70, 30. So there was really no time left for me. And when I looked around, um, I was no longer able to do the things that I had enjoyed doing anymore with my company either. We were very heavily impacted by the Affordable Care Act. Um, I felt like we had been very heavily impacted by a lot of our local legislator, uh, local and federal legislator. Um, you know, collections industry is very heavily regulated. Um, so there were a lot of things that had changed and I was not able to engage as much with my team and I was losing that time with my kids. So success no longer was about a dollar to me. It was more so about my family. And um, one day we were, we were together, my ex-husband and I, 
and we were driving to our one of our clients in Atlanta, Georgia. He he flew, but he if he could remain in control and not fly, he would. And we were on our way to see them for just our quarterly review, and uh, we were about halfway there, and I looked over and I said, um, "I'm done." And he said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "I'm done running this company." And I said, I, I've been done for a long time, but I have no idea what I'm doing in this car anymore. Mm. And I said, are you done? And there was nothing. And I asked again, I said, are you done? And um, he finally said, yes. And um, I remember I tried to call my mom right then because um, she is my rock and partner and everything in life. And I didn't get her. So I immediately called my brother. Because if I didn't tell somebody right then that second, the words would never come out of my mouth. And I called my brother and I said, I need you to know that I'm done running this company. Um, there's nothing that'll ever be worth it to me anymore. And um, I need to make sure that, that somebody's aware. And the next day we walked into our client. Um, we held the highest save save rate percentage in the entire region. Um, and for some of our contracts with this client, um, we, we held a very lower, large portion of, of their volume of work. And it really is unheard of within this industry to go in and, and basically terminate a position with a client. So we walked in the next morning. Because you were making money off from that client, right? We were, we yeah. were making, yeah. So we walked in the next morning and um, we gave our notice. And um, by contract, we only had to give a 30 day notice, but we had- It's kind of weird to be giving notices co-founders. Very weird, yeah. Um, but we had agreed that uh, we knew that it was gonna take a long time to, or could potentially take a while to replace us in some areas. And that we'd be willing to work as long and as hard as we had been um, through the relationship until they could replace us. So one of our one of our clients, um, we were their national business partner. So we were their only um, business partner for the call center and fields. Um, and it took them nine months. So from the time we gave notice, it took them nine months to replace us. So in hindsight, 2020, a lot of people have asked, did you sell? What did you do? I understand for those of you listening to this portion of the, of the podcast, was it the best financial decision at that moment in time? Absolutely not. Um, once I took a step back and reevaluated, there were some things that we were able to do different with some of the other contracts that we had. Um, other than that one client that we had already gave notice to. But the point was, if I wouldn't have done it that day, my life wouldn't be where it is today. Um, and you weren't happy. I didn't realize how unhappy I really was. Um, because when you're a business owner, at least when I was a business owner, um, every day is a great day. So when I walked into the office, um, all my employees saw was everything was perfect. And it didn't matter what was going on in my life prior to walking into those doors, 
all they saw was that when I walked into that office, everything was great. They saw no different. So unfortunately, that's great. That's great for everybody, but you. Yes. Um, and it took me a very long time to learn. This might be surprising. How to have emotions? Mm. Because I had suppressed. Who, who is this Jennifer you're speaking of? Right. <laughs> um, and I said I will never suppress my emotions again. Um, so in my mind, what I thought was going to have happen is I was going to go back to have a family. And we were going to go work our way to the top again somewhere. Or we were just going to be managers and we were going to have a relaxed life. And... I mean, I remember going through this time thinking, God, it is going to be amazing going to work somewhere and working, you know, 50, 55 hours a week and actually being able to take a vacation because I had no idea what a vacation was. Mm. And um, unfortunately, one of us remained humble and one of us um, didn't know how to cope with not being on top. Mm-hmm. And um, I immediately started looking for, for work and opportunities. And um, unfortunately, that wasn't the same for my kid's father. And um, I think addiction kicked in pretty quickly. So although the words came out that he was ready to be done with the company, um, that ultimately became a decision that I made and not that he made. So once we realized that we did not have, there was no company, it became very obvious that there was no marriage, that it was just a business partnership. Oof. So within a year, um, we dissolved the company and we dissolved the marriage. And I, we both completely rebranded as two different people. Wow. I have no concept what it's like to go through any of that. Are you going to start another business someday? No, never. Yeah. It's not easy. Nope. I'm not speaking from experience. Just a lot of people that I've talked to that have done it. Some have succeeded in the, the journey. They look back on fondly. But when they really think about it, it's, it's really tough stuff. I love the experiences I have. Um, you know, I, now that I work in the real world... Um, it's been it's it has been very interesting to me because I've always just thought everybody knew what I knew. So I remember the first job that I took prior to my current position was in a in an outbound sales call center, and they were changing their phone system, and they were getting a new dialer platform, and I jumped right in, and I was like, I talking to the other managers, you all don't know how to program a dialer. Because to me, owning my own company, you had to know. I got in the trenches. Like I wanted to test the product. I wanted to make sure that it was the best fit. And how did it, how did it work? Was it the best bang for my buck? So I just have assumed that all of the knowledge that I had from the business world was just normal knowledge that everybody had. I had no idea. No, the people that you were working with were uh, pretty good at politics, probably. Maybe not so much at the day-to-day actually getting work done. I'm guessing. I don't know any of these people. <laughs> I don't know if they were good at that either, but. Oh, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> were they good at anything? 
Well, there are other sales managers. You're talking about them. The sales, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are the sales managers. I don't know if they're politic people. Oh, gotcha. I was just talking to other managers. Gotcha. You know, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was my first job after I, I left my own company, so it was just a manager level job. And your second job after that company, after you owned your own company, is where you work now. Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. only been three years. You and I started the same day. We did. Yeah, it's weird, right? We did. And we're and we're still on the same team. We're still on the same team. Yeah. And and we, and we went from ops to sales. We did, and that's exciting. That's a weird thing for me. It is exciting. It's exciting. We, weirdly exciting. Yeah. Fifty two, and I I joined a sales organization for the first time. It's good times. Cool. Uh, all right. So you have lots of kids in your life. Let's talk about uh, your oldest son. So if you want to talk about um, my oldest son, this can get a little bit interesting. So I, my oldest biological son um, is Tristan, and he is 15. Tristan with an O-N at yeah. the end. Tristan with an O-N, T-R-I-S-T-O-N. Um, but backtracking a little bit, Jeremy, um, so my, my uh, ex-husband had two kids, um, and they were four and eight when I came into their life. And um, unfortunately, their mother really was not present um, for the majority of their life. So Jeremy, um, I'm still very close with, and he uh, still reaches out when he needs motherly advice. Um, his mom is still not involved, and um, his father passed away last summer. So CJ and Jeremy. We can come back to that because that story is incredible to me. So CJ and Jeremy are the oldest non-biological, and then Tyler, which is Jason, and then Tristan, my 15-year-olds. There's a lot going on. A lot going on there. All right, you mentioned that your ex-husband passed away. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. I'm an open book. It, okay. Yeah. So uh, you and I were working together when this, when this happened. Just want to start, I guess, from the, when you got the call. Yeah, so I'm going to backtrack just because, um, you know, anytime I have an opportunity to mention the Lord, I always take that opportunity. Um, so one of the best things I've, that has happened to me, like through the closing of my company um, and through this journey I've been on, and it has brought me really close to um, to the Lord. I was born and raised Jewish. I'll always claim Judaism from a heritage perspective, um, but I am a believer um, in Jesus Christ. So. Um, prior to my ex-husband passing away, I had had um, several dreams that I'd, I had received a phone call in the middle of the night. I don't know if you know this portion or not. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of the night saying that um, Casey had died. Several times you had this dream. Several times I had the dream. Um, and I'm, this is going to give me goosebumps and I know you don't know this portion and, uh, anybody that was in the ops meeting this morning, uh, hopefully will remember this. So I had actually had the conversation with my amazing husband, Jay, um, to let him know about my dream. Like I've received this phone call. Um, and you know, when I get the call, like we need to be there for my kids. And this isn't the first time that I've had dreams come 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 to light and, 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 and happen to me. So at the same time, um, we were doing ops morning team meetings and uh, we would have a theme of the day question. And um, it was a Friday and the question of the day was if you could ask one person one thing, what would it be? 
and um, I'm pretty outspoken. I don't really hold back. So there's not too many things that uh, I have questions to, that I don't have answers to. But, um, you know, I touched on addiction a little bit. So it had been about a year and a half since my kids had seen their dad before they saw him on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. So my question that, that I had um, was how that I was going to present Monday was how can you live with yourself every day and look in the mirror knowing that you've abandoned these kids? And Saturday night, I got the phone call. Wow. And um, and I think that was my answer. And I think my answer was he couldn't. And it was his time. And, um, you know, he wasn't living the greatest life. And, um, you know, I, love, I know he loved his kids dearly. And um, I believe, you know, that's why he stayed away, which I'm, I'm very thankful for. And so I got the phone call from CJ that his father had been in a terrible car accident and um, had been ejected through the vehicle and that they didn't know that if he was going to make it or not. So the part, part of my dream that was left out was I didn't know that he was going to be on life support and that um, his power of attorney had not been updated so that left me so um, my husband and I immediately woke up and had a conversation about what to do and where to go next and um, my biggest concern was my kids and we decided that we would have a conversation with Tristan and ask him what he wanted to do and he wanted to go home and see his dad So Jay and I flew CJ in from Texas and his girlfriend to see his dad. And me, or Jay, Tristan, Chance, Harley, and I all loaded a plane in the middle of COVID and um, went home and um, brought him home to see their dad who was uh, basically skin and bones on life support. And uh, yeah, we pulled the plug, said our goodbyes, and um, we buried him. My ex-husband, I mean, my current husband and I buried him and made sure that the boys had a proper goodbye. And we couldn't have done it any any better. We sent him, we sent him out in a, a Saints, a Florida Lee urn, and um, yeah. You were the executor of Not, ev- yeah, essentially everything. Yeah, nothing had been updated. And were you on your own dealing with all that, or did you have folks around you that could help you do some of that? But the the bigger things were all on your shoulders, right? Yeah, I mean, my husband is, my husband was amazing. I mean, and it is a blessing, truly. Um, I can't imagine going through what I went through and it be like my spouse, right? 
Um, it was very difficult because of my kids. But when I was done, um, and I know this isn't everybody, but I had forgiven him for everything that had happened and transpired between us. And when you're no, no longer um, emotionally connected to somebody, as far as like the planning of the funeral and going through that process, I, I think it definitely made it a little bit easier on me just because there was no longer that emotional connection there. Um, the most challenging portion was, you know, my kids, and I, I was very honest, we've always been honest with my kids because I needed them to know that it's not their fault that their dad had stopped communicating with them. Um, so they knew that their dad was an addict, had turned into an addict, literally overnight. Um, so the hardest part for us was that my kids, we, they had always hoped for um, the day when their dad turned back into the dad that they knew. Because for many years, he was an amazing father. Um, and I'm sure one day the boys will listen to this and, and they need to know that their dad was an amazing father. Um, and he tried very hard, I am sure, um, to do well on his own. So the hardest part was them, me watching them knowing that that day would never come for them. Um, but Jay has been an amazing stepfather. Um, when you look at them together, you would not realize that he's not biologically dead. Um, and for those two weeks that we were there, he really picked up a lot of the heavy for us. Um, you know, he was at the hospital with us. He was there literally every, every step of the way. Um, and not only did he have my, my biological boys that leans on him, he had the two older boys too that have no biological connection to me at all. Jay sounds like a stud. He's a stud. I've never met him. He's a stud. I should probably meet him now that I've learned so much about him tonight. Tell me more about Jay. Um, How'd y'all meet? We actually met at the ranch. Um, what is the ranch? It's a bar. Okay. All it's right. a bar. All right, we you met at a bar. A lot, of people, a lot of people meet at bars. We met at a bar. I hate saying bar, but That's we met a, at a bar. It is what it is. We met at a bar. He's a body technician. He's in the trade fields. So he's a great guy. I don't know where. Does, does he own his own company? He does not. Um, he. Um, Based on what you're telling lead, me, that's a good thing. He, I say he does not because you know he's he would I think like to uh, like to one day not his own company company but he would like to uh, have his own shop which is a company. Let me not try to play it down. Um, it's like it can be small. It doesn't have to be so large. I'm like no, let's pass. You have a good thing. So he's the lead body tech for um, a collision shop around here. Okay, nice. And he likes doing that kind of work. Loves it. Yeah. Loves it. He's been in the industry over 20 years. Met at the ranch. Where's the ranch? I've never heard of it. On Hall Street. Okay. And I it, live inside of South. This is south of the river. I'm an hour away from you. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're not close. <laughs> no, 55 minutes. Did it really take that long? Yeah. It's okay. Yep. What? Yeah. I'm out in Mosley. Oh, yeah. you're like the third or fourth person from Mosley that's driven over here. I feel bad every time somebody tells me they live in Mosley, but it's all good. It's all good. We're here now. This is the second time you've been here. Yeah. And I got to figure out, does Ann remember her episode number? Yes. We, we should mention that. All right. No. But I 
You had a number. And yeah. Robert, are you looking it up? Thank you. Did the uh, on-air thing throw you off? No. All right. Do I seem thrown off? No, you do not. All right, so you grew up Jewish, emancipated by the age of 16. When did uh, Christianity enter the picture for you? Yesterday. No, not yesterday, Mom. <laughs> a few months ago. Um, a few months ago, I was baptized. But and, well, hold on. When you say baptized, you're talking... I mean, water baptized. Like full body. In front of... The entire congregation. Yes. Yeah, I, that's how I was baptized. I was 14, um, which is interesting. It, Baptists do it with teenagers, and the theory is that they're old enough to understand exactly what they're they're going through. And some do, I think, and some maybe not. But you certainly know what you're going through when you're older than 14. Oh, oh yes. I'm well aware yeah. of brother. Um, no, Christianity came into my life um, towards the end of my com- towards the end of closing the company. Um, Gosh, that was another nightmare. Yeah, there were lots of signs when why we should have closed down the company um, sooner than we did. You know, everything comes in threes. There's signs. You don't listen. You know, you're not talking to me. Um, and so probably about three or three years prior to closing the company, when I was told to look into the bank accounts. Uh, you discovered some uh, discrepancies. Yeah, like. there were some discrepancies. Mm-hmm. And that's when you started down the path? Um, well, I, that's when I pinpointed it because I, I was, that was another like intuition, I guess. You know, I've spoken to. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, but when did Jesus come into your life? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, like three or four years, like three years before I closed the company, two or three years before I closed the company, so like five. What was the catalyst? I mean, what what was introduced to your life that, where that changed for you? Did somebody suggest you go to church with them? Well, no, people have always tried to get me to go to church, and I've always said, no, I don't have time, I've made up excuses, but I've always, like, within the last five or six years ago, I've always believed in Jesus Christ and accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Because I feel like I've been prayed and he has listened to me. There have been signs. I just haven't been um, as open or outward. I guess maybe like kind of on the fence maybe about it. But I believe, you know, I've, I've been a, a believer um, and for numerous reasons. I mean, I have not started, I started going to church and being very active and involved within the last year. But I've been a believer within the last five or six years. Okay. That you, makes sense. Uh, so I, kind of. Let, let me continue to explore a little bit. You didn't learn it from your mom, right? You Christianity was not talked about. In the oh, well, my program. dad's Catholic. Oh, your dad's so Catholic. Da- yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad's There's- Catholic. So I've always celebrated Christmas. I've always been exposed. You cel- celebrated both. I've, yeah, so I've always been exposed to everything. Not necessarily from her father, but from her mother. Yeah. My mom also celebrated Christmas growing up, and both of her parents we're were very, Jewish. Ecumenically open. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, was but I didn't w- was Christmas a bigger deal in the house than Hanukkah? Always. Always. Okay. Always. But that's how I was raised. Got it. Okay, that makes my sense. I might as well just have been Christian my whole life. Got it. Say it again. I might as well just been Christian my whole life. Got it. And now you're baptized. Now I'm baptized. All right. I do have to ask this. I can't imagine you've ever dreamed about me, but if you do. 
and something happens in the dream to me, I, I, I'm going to need you to tell me about it. You got it. <laughs> Do you have any other dreams that uh, ended up becoming reality? Um, yeah, I've had a few of them. Well, boy, well, the embezzlement, that was a real thing. You dreamed about that? Well, I was to go check my exactly where to go look in the bank statement that's, yeah that's crazy mm -hmm. well my recent dream was i closed that deal so we'll see yes so now, now we're talking yeah yep, see <laughs> um yeah there have been a few of them i have to really think yeah i've had a few of them yeah that's not typical you may be psychic yeah do you think you're psychic a little psychic. no you, no i think it's just you, know. you think it's because you, uh, you're from New Orleans? <laughs> voodoo. No, it's not voodoo. It's just intuition. I think, I think you're a little psychic. We'll see. Are you a Saints fan? Oh, yeah. Who that? So I, I do need to mention, and Rob, my crack research staff has uh, told me that episode 36 was your mom's, Ann Kiefer's episode. 36. So if you want to check out Ann's episode, it's 36. Age. 36. Remember. remember it. Now, Ann and you are both very uh, nice, giving people. Uh, you told me, I think, two days before the Tampa Bay-New Orleans playoff game that I was invited to go uh, down to the Superdome and use the other ticket, the other season ticket that your mom has. And I thought, I'm like, oh, my, my first reaction was, that's amazing. I would love to go see Tampa in a playoff game because it so rarely happens. And then my next thought was, well, if Tampa wins, I don't want to be there with Ann being really sad. It might be Drew Brees' last game. That, I mean, that... It was horrible. It does, yeah, it, it, it had to be horrible. And then I'm thinking, and if we lost, I came all the way to New Orleans to be surrounded <laughs> by Saints fans after we lost? Like, neither scenario seems great to me, even though the actual game itself would have been amazing. We couldn't even cheer for Drew. Because there weren't enough of you, really? Or why couldn't you cheer for Drew? Because there weren't enough of us. You were there. Oh, I know. You didn't go, so I took your spot. Well, I, 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 you should have been the first choice, I think. There but. weren't enough of us. We lost. We know it's Drew's last game. There's not, not enough of us in the stadium. He hadn't officially announced it at that point, but he people knew. But we knew. But people that, knew, that yeah. we, we all knew that he was going to retire. But it was almost like we are so devastated, number one, that we lost, number two, that we're losing Drew. That nobody knew what to do. We have on these masks. You don't know. You didn't. We didn't know what to do because we wanted to cheer for him. Sure. All we wanted to do was cheer for him. Do you know the city still hasn't done anything? That's crazy. Never did anything. I can't believe we haven't had a. a we morning. never had a parade. I can't believe we haven't had a parade. We never had. We haven't had anything. Speaking of parades, that was another fun adventure I uh, in my life that I went on. Um, so we, we owned a restaurant for three, for a few years. While you owned the other company? By the way, yeah. you didn't, didn't even mention so, that I was a president of the Sousa. I believe that's like, you didn't even mention it. We're Mom, still, we're still, we're, and we're still, we're still, we're still, we're still going in. Mom, what did you do as the president? You gave us a loan. Thank you. We appreciate your contribution. We paid you back. Um, so we had, um, we, there was a restaurant in New Orleans. It was a block away from Emeralds. 
Um, my cousin and her husband at the time were going to be the executive chef in front of the house manager. And mind you, I had, except for waiting tables, the restaurant industry, n not Jennifer, not Jennifer's thing. Here we go with third person, okay? <laughs> so I know you're getting serious when you go to third person. <laughs> so we are re they are remodeling the restaurants. They um, have also taken out a loan for my mother. And it's gonna be amazing. And a month before the restaurant opens, we are having to take the executive chef off of the restaurant. So what we did for three years was uh, we did two years in two weeks in Virginia, and two weeks in New Orleans, and we got lots of books on how to run a restaurant, and went to lots of seminars. <laughs> and ensured that we completed our lease agreements oh and uh, ran this restaurant for three years and uh, watched some amazing parades <laughs> go by uh, the restaurant while the president over here uh, did very little. <laughs> and uh, we, we uh, made sure everything stayed afloat. And um, Wait, that, how were how you when this was happening? 25, probably, okay. probably by this time. All right. um, there was no chance. I didn't have chance, but Tristan was three or four. Um, my cousin and her husband go through a divorce through this process. Mm. Um, it didn't, you know. Sounds like a theme. We're six months in, the, the restaurant. And um, that was another pretty amazing experience. Uh, learned a lot there. That, that that was a fun industry. Lots of theft. Lots of theft in the restaurant industry. Collections, much better. Restaurants are hard. They're very hard. Food yeah. and alcohol walked right out the door. Oh, I bet. I'm sure it did. Oh, yeah. Got to keep everything under lock and key, I but think. It was, yeah. it was fun. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a beautiful place. Fun and fleeting, it sounds like. We had fun. Fleeting. We had fun. All right. What are your memories of uh, Mardi Gras? Oh, I love Mardi Gras. As I a kid, as an adult. Year. I've always oh, loved Mardi Gras. All right, talk to me about your experiences with Mardi Gras because it's not the experiences I had as a guy who's not from there. I just came to maybe have a couple of drinks. No, so Mardi Gras really is, um, it's family oriented. I have, um, my mom has always been involved with a crew. Um, What's the name of your mom's crew? Sparta. Um, I've rode, uh, I've been a lady in waiting. I've been a maid a few years. Uh, my boys have been part of the organization. They used to go home every year and ride. We're looking forward to going back this upcoming year. Um, well, I'm sorry. What does la lady in waiting mean? You know, like a, it's kind of debutantish. You know, uh, like it feels, white dress. Feels very debutantish. Okay. Like lady in waiting. Got it. Curtsy. Well, I might not. That's what it Go is. Go with debutantish. It's debutantish. I'm going to tell the captain. Um, you thought you were a debutantish. It's debutantish. How else would you describe it? How would you describe a Mardi Gras ball? Uh, you were just part of a, of a, of a presentation. How, it's, just a, it's just a presentation of the court. You're how how the do you court. describe it, though, to somebody that's never been to a ball? It's, it it is debutantish. Well, okay. We'll go with it. Go, go with it. Rolling. You're President. doing a beautiful job, by the way. Um, beautiful. You made me cry. This is why we can't give her a mic. Um, 
Yeah, so the the boys we've had them as uh, heralds. They don't appreciate that now. They had to wear um, they had to wear tights, bloopers, they had to wear tights and, and man like diapers. Di- man diapers. Man diapers. What, what do you mean man diapers? You know those little. I have pictures. Yeah. I'll show you later. Bloomers underneath. You know, like they blow the trumpets. It sounds emasculating. (laughs) Right. They they don't appreciate it now at all. They were little. They were young. The captain had to wear it. How young were they? Probably too old to be wearing man diapers. But, you know, they I mean, it sounds like they could have some emotional scarring for this. (laughs) No, they loved it. (laughs) They loved it at the time. You know when you throw a whole bunch of stuff off floats? Yeah. Kids catch it. All right. So so when I come down to Mardi Gras... How much do I have to pay to, to uh, do all this fun stuff? Well, when you calm down, no, I'm gonna, are you going to ride? I'm going to ride and I'm going to... I keep asking her to give me a price. She's, I'm still waiting. The dues are probably $350 and then you spend another, I don't know, five or $600 for beads. I told you it's a so, so you're in for a thousand, sounds $1, like. $1,000. Okay. It's worth Stay it. with me. thousand per person. Stay with Ann, she says. Yeah. All right. I gotta convince my wife, but right on. She should be. Let's see if her surgery is in December. Things should be okay, but it's a matter of vacation time, I think, for her. We'll we'll figure it out. Okay. All right, so uh, let's come back to the Saints real quickly. Who's a bigger fan, you or your mom? My mom. I mean, I'm a fan, but my mom, she. She's in her gold lame. She is on her umbrella. She, you got you were interviewed, Ann. I, sorry, I'm, I don't mean to make this to turn this into the Ann show here at the end. Sorry. 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 No, it's all good. So is Drew Brees staying in New Orleans? I think he's already left. He left? I think he's in I California. Think he left right away. I think he paid tuition for two private schools, one in New Orleans where his kids were, and then one in San Diego where his kids went. He's he played in San Diego for two or three seasons, but he's not from that part of the country. No, he's from Texas. He's That's from, right. He's from Dallas. Dallas. And, um, and I think he went back to San Diego. All right, so let's talk about what's going on in your life right now, Jennifer. How are your kids doing these days? They're actually doing really well. You know, kids are amazing. Once again, you know, we are, I'm blessed that they have an amazing support system um, here now. Uh, my young, my, my middle son, um, I, I mean, we all have challenges, right? But uh, he, had, we, we put him into a Christian school and um which has been the best thing for him and he is uh learning how to process and deal with some of his emotions but overall they're 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 good they're great kids i couldn't ask for better kids all right so uh 10 years from now they're going to be in their 20s harley will be almost 12 10 years from now but for your sons um what advice would you give them that would prepare them for their 20s um, so I'm constantly telling them now, make sure you contribute to your 401k at your first job. Um, Teach them about personal finances, what you're doing. Yes. Because the schools probably aren't doing that. Yes. We're having those conversations with Tristan now, who wants to be a NASA engineer. Not Na- NASA, SpaceX. He's done with NASA. He's done with government space travel. Yeah, it's all exactly about private space travel. what he tells travel. me. Yes. He wants to work for SpaceX. He wants to be a, a yes, engineer. Um Space engineer. Chance wants to go into the trade industry. 
Harley, we don't know what she wants to do. Harley, you're happy Harley's walking and talking. Yeah. 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 And, um, enjoy every moment. Make every moment count. Nothing lasts forever. You know, unfortunately, they learn that lesson really hard in life. Um, So whatever they do, make sure they love doing it. Yeah. And money's not the end all be all. Money doesn't necessarily make you happy. No, it doesn't. Yeah. In fact, it does quite the opposite at times. Money can definitely be the root of all evil. What else you want to talk about tonight? You want to let your mom come up to the mic? What is she going to say? It's all good. It's all good. Well, cool. Well, it's been fun talking to you. Nothing else you want to talk about? Um, so the last thing I'm going to put out there, just because um, I think it's important for most people to hear it, um, you know, I kind of touched on a 401k portion. I know that there's a lot of people out there that do not take advantage of it. Um, the other thing I want to touch on real quick um, is life insurance. Mm. Um, for those of you all listening that do not have life insurance or do not take advantage of life insurance, I'm not just talking about company life insurance. I'm talking about uh, private life insurance. It is more affordable than you think. Um, and if you have kids, I am definitely pro life insurance and uh, advise each and every one of you all to look into it and get it. Take the time to figure out your finances so you can afford it. Yep. And, and it's more doable than a lot of people think. I have yep. Okay. Ann's coming to the mic. And while Ann's coming to the mic, I will say I had a one of my dad's friends when I was uh, younger said, hey, put away 50 bucks a month. And by the time you're 60, it'll be worth more than you can possibly imagine. So the point that you're making, the point that I'm making is start saving as early as you can. And it's never too early to start uh, planning for later in life. Absolutely. What do you got, Ann? Of course, I didn't take any of that advice when I was growing up because I'm sure my father did tell me that. <laughs> um, I just want to say, Jennifer, you know, I listened to everything you said. You're an amazing woman. You're probably the strongest woman I met. You're probably the strongest woman I know. I'm not going to take a whole lot of credit for the way you turned out. But I know that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. I mean, I say it all the time. And I know that sometimes we try to beat ourselves up and and beat ourselves down. And you're just like the phoenix. You just keep coming back over and over and over. And and maybe we, and maybe we do that. And we are strong women. And for other women. I don't know if we teach our daughters enough how to be strong women, just how to fly and just how to soar. But, um, you know, the events that have happened in your life, we didn't plan them all. We didn't. And God knows I wouldn't have wished them for you. But everything that you've done, you know, you've made amazing strides out of unbelievably difficult situations and I'm not proud of all the situations you've been in and I'm sorry look don't be sorry I look I I have had an amazing life and they have made me into the woman I am today and I cannot be more proud than this woman that stands in the mirror she's she's stronger than me well she's stronger than me 
but but we are strong and and we've been through some really tough times but we just have to teach Arlie. <laughs> Believe me, she's strong. <laughs> she has a wallop. But sometimes you need a wallop to get through this life. Mm-hmm. And we always can't depend on anybody else. Yeah. And, and, and this one here, brains and beauty. The words don't always come out right, but who cares? <laughs> she gets her point across, right? That's right. <laughs> So I am very proud of you. I love you. And um, I just want to watch you soar more. And I hope I'm around for a long time. At home, our, our four-time governor, Edwin Edwards, just died. Oh. He was 93. Wow. He had the ama- amazing highs and a few lows. But, but that just goes to show that anybody can be anything they want. Yeah, that's right. So we just keep keep rolling so thank you for letting me take a minute of your podcast we are so welcome mom so thank you for being an amazing mama that was a very sweet you're way welcome to end it absolutely thank you jennifer and Ann for driving yeah. all the way out from mosley i appreciate it thanks for having us all right thank you awesome. for having us again thank you for listening If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.